You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Well, if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and grab it. We're going to be at Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. Luke 2, starting in verse 22. Before we dive into the text, I want to draw our attention to a couple announcements. Number one, there is a Madison Multiply Women's Conference that we'd love to have you sign up for if you're a woman. Um, That goes without saying, right? And uh, so um, that's going to happen January 31st to February 1st. And just to make preparations, we would love to have you sign up if you can come. Madison Multiply is a coalition of churches that are united around church planting. Uh, Acts 29 churches united around church planting uh, here in Madison. And it's the churches that we've planted, Redeemer City, Eastside Church, and The Vine. And so we're really excited about that. So you'll hear more information. But if you're planning to go, we just want you to sign up. Sign up tab on the website. And then finally, uh, we have an intensive, more intensive discipleship structure called Porterbrook that we would love to draw your attention to. Next course in January is all about interpreting God's word. How do you go about interpreting God's word? What are the principles that you have to have to, to do what Paul said, to rightly divide the word of truth? Like you can make the Bible say almost anything you want if you don't have good principles of interpretation. So we would love to commend this to you. It's going to start January 5th, next door, upstairs, uh, for four weeks, uh, an intensive study on what does it mean to interpret the Bible correctly. And so we'd love for so many of you to make that a priority if you can. And if you can, we would love to have you sign up on the sign-up tab, thevinemadison.org. All right. We're looking at Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. Let's pray together. Father, we need your help, and we pray that your word would just come alive to us this morning, that we would love it, that we'd be thankful for it, and that we would have ears to hear, hearts to receive. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your word and your spirit so that we can grow into your likeness. That's our desire, Lord. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're going to consider what I think is probably one of the most underrated texts in the Bible in reference to Christmas. So when we talk about what does the Bible say about Christmas, a lot of us think of the angels appearing to the shepherds and the and the star, this you know, star in the east, and the and the wise men follow the star or angel appearing to Mary. But today, we're going to look at a text that maybe a lot of us haven't thought about when it comes to Christmas. But it is a Christmas text. And so let's start here in Luke 2, uh, verse 22, and see what it says. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they, here being Mary and Joseph, they brought him, being Jesus, up to Jerusalem To present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. 
and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So what's going on here? What's going on here is Mary and Joseph, as faithful Jewish people at this time, are just following what God said to do when you have a firstborn son in the Old Testament. You go to the temple, you make a sacrifice, consecrate the child to the Lord. All right? But when they get to the temple, something very interesting happens. And they have an interaction with this guy named Simeon. Now let's see what happens next. Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It says that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. So much of life is about waiting, right? We're waiting. Kids at this time of year are waiting. They wait for school to be out, right? I remember that. I can't wait for school to be out. I picked up my son Emery at gymnastics. He climbed into my truck and he said to me a couple days ago, he said, it's amazing how having a break from school makes me so happy. Right? It's like, yeah, I mean, it's true. I remember that. Kids at this time, they, they are tasting the angst of waiting when they see all those tr- presents under the tree. Like, what's, what's under there? What am I going to have? What did my parents get me? What did grandma get me? Or whatever. I can't wait to open those gifts. Christmas is all about waiting. And we learn in this text, in this first Christmas, that Simeon was in the same boat. What does it say? Verse 25. It says that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, what does it mean, the word consolation? Well, it means that you need to be consoled, right? If you need to be consoled, what does that mean? It means you're sad. It means that you're suffering. It means that you're maybe in angst about something. And it says the consolation, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. So Israel needed to be consoled. Well, why would Israel need to be Consoled? Why was Israel in pain? Why were God's people, the Jewish people at this time, in pain? Well, historically, we know that the Jewish people in this part of the world 2,000 years ago were occupied by the brutal Roman Empire. And the promises that God had made to his people in the Old Testament that they would be a people and they would have a place and they would have presence of God with them unhindered. Like that had not come to pass in this time in history as they were thinking it would. And they're being oppressed. They've been invaded by the Romans and they're waiting for the Messiah. So they're longing and waiting for God's promises of the Messiah to come to pass. Okay? There were people in exile. Things were not as they were supposed to be. So this Christmas was filled with longing and angst and waiting, waiting for the Messiah. Now there was a man in Jerusalem, verse 25, whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26, 
And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Imagine that. Like, how's, how's that for a promise, right? Like, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. That's pretty cool. Verse 27. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. So see, three times in verses 25, 26, and 27, you have the word the Holy Spirit, or in the Spirit. So Luke is emphasizing something here. What's he emphasizing? He's emphasizing that there's about to be a God-ordained appointment. That the Holy Spirit is orchestrating what we're about to see go down here. God has appointed Joseph and Mary and Simeon to have a, a divine appointment right here in the temple. They walk in at the exact same moment that Simeon walks in. So, so picture this in your mind. It probably would have been kind of weird if you were Joseph and Mary, right? A lot of you have had kids. A lot of you have had kids recently. And you've got this old guy that he kind of maybe hobbles up to you as you're holding your firstborn son. And anybody who's a parent of the firstborn, you know how you can be a little protective, right? Little boy or girl, little baby boy falls down, skins his knee. You know, you're calling 911 on that first kid, right? Fourth kid, whatever, they'll be fine, right? That's how it works. But that first kid, you're protective. So you're Joseph and Mary, firstborn son. This guy comes up, he wants to hold your baby. Like, that's kind of weird. So you hesitate. He seems kind of harmless. So you allow him to hold your baby. And then he says this. And the words that he says cause the hair on the back of your neck to stand up. Because now you really know that this is a God moment. That this is a God appointment. Look at what he says about your child if you're Joseph and Mary. Verse 28. And he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. You know how you have that deep sense of satisfaction when something that you've been longing for for a long time comes to pass? It's kind of like that euphoria, that, that sense of release. of Like, man, there's been this tension, and now there's this release. And I'm so thankful that what I've been longing for has been fulfilled. So I think about this most recently with a trip that I got to take with my wife for our 20th anniversary. So we got away for 10 days to Europe, and we were um, in France for, in Paris for a few days, and then the south of France for about a week. And man, we saved for four years. Budget line item, every month, you know, squirreling a little money away, right? So that four years later, we could really have a good time. And we splurged, and we went after it. It was amazing. Like We were thinking about that. I was longing for that vacation to celebrate our anniversary for four years, thinking about it all the time. Man, it's going to be great. Can't wait till we have that 20, you know, that 20-year anniversary trip. We're already thinking about tw- year 25. Looking forward to that. 
Not saving as well, so probably need to get after that. But um, yeah, so great trip, amazing trip. And we longed and we longed and we longed, and then it came to pass, one of the best vacations we've ever had. There's a longing, and then there's a fulfillment of that longing. And that, that fulfillment is sweet. We all know what that's like. Like I remember 15, man, man, I can't wait to get my driver's license. Or I remember when I was single, like I can't wait to get married. I remember when we were trying to have kids. Man, I can't wait till Kim gets pregnant. Maybe it's you're trying to sell your house and it's just kind of taking forever. Maybe it's like you've been in school and you're just like, oh, I can't wait to graduate. Maybe it's you need to get a job. It's like, man, I just, I'm waiting to find the right job. There's a longing. And then when that longing gets fulfilled, man, it's sweet. And that is what Simeon is experiencing here. Did you see it? In the text, you know that phrase that we say sometimes just in jest, like, oh, man, you can kill me now or take me now, right? It's like all, all that uh, we, we've been longing for, something you've been, you know, just hoping for your whole life. You actually get it and you say that just to kind of be exaggerating or whatever. Like, man, you can kill me now because I've got it. What I've been longing for, it's come. We say that as a joke. But that's really what he says here in the text. Look at verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. I mean, that's just ancient Bible speak for you can kill me now, right? What I've been longing for has come to pass, right? I've held the Savior in my own hands. You can take me now. It doesn't get any better than this. Simeon knows this is as good as it gets in this life. You can kill me now. So a good application for us at Christmas is, do we value Jesus like this? Where it's like, man, if I, if I just have Jesus, you can have the rest. You can take me now. It doesn't matter. But if I have Jesus, that, that's what I want. Like we see Simeon's desires here. We see his life focus here. He's just feeling like, man, if I can just experience this solution that God said I'm going to experience, once I finally have that, see that promise from God come to pass where I hold the Savior in my arms, then that's all I need. That's all I'm focused on. So, so Simeon here, he reminds us of Christian priorities, right? What's that thing if you could have it where you could just say, Matt, take me now. This is all I want. Ultimately, Christian priorities is Jesus is that. I just, want, I just want more of him. I want to experience more of him. I want more of the Spirit's power. I want the, more of the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I want to experience walking with God more. That's what I want. And Simeon reminds us of these Christian living priorities. Simeon also reminds us of Christian mission priorities in what he says. You see that there? Check out the last part of what he says. Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So what he says here is that God has fulfilled his promise that the Messiah would be a light. He promised it to Abraham and all through the prophets, the Messiah would come, the Messiah would come, and he would be a light to the nations. Meaning, up until this point, 
God spoke just through direct revelation to people. God to Abraham, God to Moses, God to Jacob. And then he spoke through the prophets. And it was just focused on the nation of Israel. But the prophets promised that there was coming a day when this light would explode out like a big bang. And it would go to all nations. It wouldn't just be for just Israel, Old Testament people. It would be for all nations, not just geographic nation of Israel with with distinct boundaries. No, it would go worldwide, no more boundaries. And Simeon is saying, that day is today. The Messiah has come. We've triggered a new moment in history when this gospel, this good news is going to start with Jesus and it's going to radiate out and it's going to go way beyond just Jerusalem, way beyond just Judea. It's going to go to the whole world. So I don't know if anybody in the room is Jewish. I don't know many Jewish people in in Madison. So most of us in this room are probably Gentiles. If you're not familiar with your Bible, Gentile is just a word for not being Jewish. So the fact that we sit here right now, if you're not a Jewish person, is evidence that this text, what Simeon said, has come to pass. Because we don't sit in Jerusalem. We sit in the United States of America. The light that Simeon was talking about has radiated out. Here you sit, Madison 2019. The gospel has moved forward by the power of the word and the spirit. Here you sit. Here you sit. So Christmas should remind us, Simeon's words should remind us of the missionary force of King Jesus as he moves into the world. Every tribe, tongue, and nation. This mission has been advancing for 2,000 years now, and we're evidence of it. The fact that you sit here right now. So be thankful. So be thankful. Jesus is the light to the Gentiles, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. If you've seen what God has revealed to you and you love it and you embrace it and you treasure it and trust it, man, Simeon's words have come to pass in your life. That's a beautiful thing to remember at Christmas. This is also why we continue to see it move forward. That's why we take trips and we send a young woman to North Africa because this has to keep happening Jesus continues to be the light among nations where he is not known. That's why we engage those places that are unengaged for the sake of church planting. Well, Simeon here, he quotes some portions of the Old Testament, and then he's going to have some words here of his own that's really interesting. Let's keep reading. Verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Put yourself in their shoes. Wouldn't that be amazing? Like this, this child that's yours. You know, Mary's heard a lot from the angel. But this is even more. This, is, this, this, this baby's going to be a light to the Gentiles. I mean, that must have just been mind-blowing. Verse 33. Verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed For the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. 
So let me read that again without the parenthetical comment. This is what Simeon says. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall, fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Why? So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So here's something you don't hear often about Christmas, and it doesn't sound very warm and fuzzy. It's not going to be the title of a Hallmark Christmas movie. Christmas is all about division. Christmas is all about division. That's what it says here. This baby that comes into the world, Jesus, Christ the Lord, is going to cause division. Some will rise, some will fall. There's going to be a stark divide because of Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about needless division. I'm not talking about Fox News versus MSNBC kind of division. Right? That's unnecessary division. Now, of course, there's a way to talk about political convictions without dividing. It's not very normative in our culture. Oftentimes, it's probably best just to steer clear of that one around the Christmas dinner table or whatever. You with me? That's not the kind of division, though, I'm talking about. There's a billion ways that we're divided in this, in this world, let alone Wisconsin or this country. I'm not talking about needless division. But consider this. Christianity is the most inclusive and exclusive worldview that you could ever have. The most inclusive and exclusive, all at the same time. Here's what I mean. The most inclusive in this sense. All are welcome to come. All are welcome to come. Jesus beckons all. If you're willing, come. If you're willing, come. Doesn't matter where you're from. Doesn't matter how much you're educated. Doesn't matter your skin color. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. Doesn't matter what political party you side with, what language you speak. All are welcome to come. The free offer of the gospel. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to pass a theology test. All are welcome to come. But at the same time, it's the most exclusive. What does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus is the basis by which you have to come. He says, I am the one you have to receive. It's not Muhammad. It's not secular humanism. It's not Confucius. It's not Hinduism. It's not Buddha. It's Jesus. It's the one that's risen from the dead. And so there will be a division. Jesus is the division. There will be exclusivity. It's not all inclusive. The welcome is inclusive, but, but if you're willing to come, it has to be on Jesus' terms. And you come because you look at Jesus' terms and go, he knows what he's talking about. If, 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 if someone's talking and they died for my sins and they rose from the dead, man, I want to listen to that. We come because we love what he says. We see what he says. We delight in what he says. We don't slavishly choose to follow Jesus, but in joy, we love to follow him because of what he's done in the gospel to save me from my sin. 
So Christianity is the most exclusive and inclusive, all at the same time. But make no mistake, Jesus is the great divider. Simeon has told us. Many will rise, many will fall spiritually on account of Jesus. Why? Because his words bring conviction. Look at what verse 34 says. This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Jesus exposes what's inside of us. His words expose our thoughts. Jesus reveals what is truly in us. Many of us hear that and we go, yes, I see that that, that I do need a Savior, that I can't manage my sin on my own, that I'm helpless to to, to take care of the sin debt that I have, that this God is holy and I'm not. Like, I can't manage that on my own. I can't clean myself up enough. I've come to the end of myself and I've found Jesus. And in repentance, I want to turn from sin and turn towards him. That's the gospel. That's the good news that you can have forgiveness and life and joy and satisfaction found in Jesus. Turning from sin, turning towards Jesus and following him. And so a lot of us, if if Jesus has revealed our hearts, that's the response. But for some of us, when Jesus reveals our hearts... Man, we just want to kind of anesthetize, numb that truth. And one of the best ways to do that is just distraction. I can just distract myself endlessly with the internet, with Netflix, with social media. I can distract myself endlessly by chasing money. I can distract myself endlessly by chasing relationships. There's lots of ways to do it. If you just keep me blissfully unaware based on distractions and idolatries in my life, then I won't have to honestly look at how Jesus describes me. For others, we want to just maybe just write off Jesus. Man, does he really, I mean, what's this Jesus guy? What's he got to say? Like, why should I believe him? For others, we might be agnostic when he reveals our heart and say, well, how do we know that Jesus really said these things? But, but make no mistake, Simeon tells us The Bible shows us that you can't be apathetic towards Jesus. It's just not one of the choices. It's just not one of the choices. Jesus will either unite us together in a gathered church or he will divide us by sending people to look for other ways to deal with the sin problem. So Jesus coming into the world brings division. Christmas is about division. That's just a promise here from God's word. But hear this, please, Christian. If you're a Christian here today, just because Jesus brings division and he is the great divider, that doesn't mean that his followers can ever have a whiff of prideful superiority. Okay? Sadly, the church doesn't have a great reputation with that. And so may us at the Vine, the Vine family, provide a counter narrative to that. Can we do that? Like, if the gospel tells me that I'm a sinner and that I need saving, and I am willing to admit that, and then I see what Jesus has done for me in the cross and the empty tomb, full of grace and mercy, nothing on my own. I didn't earn anything. I just saw what he did, and I received it. And I heard the words that he said about me then, and I believed it. And that's how I became a Christian. Does any of that sound like a reason for me to be prideful? Does any of that sound like a reason for me to look down on someone else because they don't have it together like I do? No, like that's antithetical. That's the opposite 
of what Christianity should cultivate in your life. So just because Jesus divides doesn't mean that we're jerks. Just because Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free doesn't mean that you look down in a condemning way on those who don't know the truth. Okay? So to sum up, I'm reminded of the famous song by you 2 I still haven't found what I'm looking for. But Simeon's not singing that song, is he? He has found it. He has found what he's been looking for, right? He's got what he's looking for. Christmas is all about fulfillment that we see here in Simeon's life, right? Christ has come. He experienced it. He's rejoicing. He's saying, you can kill me now. I've got what I, what I desire. Promise of God fulfilled. So Christmas, for Christians, we join him in that. We look back and we go, praise God. We look back and we go, rejoice. Emmanuel has come, right? We sang it this morning about Emmanuel. We're going to sing it after communion. God has come. He's come. He's with us, right? So on the one hand, Christmas is all about fulfillment. And as that fulfillment has come, Man, we rejoice. And at the same time, we relate to Simeon's longing. He was longing for a Messiah the first time. And yet we rejoice. We also look forward. And we long for the Messiah the second time. The day when Jesus would come and make all things right. When the angst of our existence is dealt with and finally put away. My sin Inside me and the sin that I see outside me, it's all dealt with, finally, completely overdone. We long for that day. So we join Simeon in the longing too. Not Messiah first time. We long for it Messiah second time. So in this sense, Christmas is just this beautiful both and. Christmas is this glorious now and not yet, right? So at this Christmas season, However you celebrate it with family, friends, food, presents, all that. Just remember, Christmas is a beautiful both and. Christmas is a beautiful now and not yet. We join with Simeon and all that he experienced in this text. Hope fulfilled and yet hope unfulfilled. So let's live and love and celebrate in the midst of this glorious tension at Christmas. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for what it shows us, for how it gives us life. And may you help us see it, be thankful for it, and live in light of it. Lord, thank you for the fulfillment and the longing we have this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.